The phrase 2020, as in 20 slash 20, stands for normal vision. It describes what the average person can see from 20 feet. If you can read an eye chart from 20 feet away, that the, no, the average person can read from 20 feet away, you have 20-20 vision. And since it's the average, there are some people who have better than 20-20 vision. And there are some of us who need eye correction who have worse than 20-20 vision. Now, this just describes what is average. And I guess all kinds of planning about signs and typefaces and that kind of stuff goes on the presumption of 2020 vision. Either you have it or your vision will be corrected to have it. And so 2020 describes what is average, what is normal. Somewhere along the way, though, 2020 vision became used to describe clear vision, like clarity. And we hear this, you can sense this um, pretty clearly in the phrase that we use, hindsight is 2020. What are we saying when we say that? We say, if you look back, you can see clearly all the signs that you missed that led to the disaster, all right? And so a lot of times when we say 2020 vision, we are referring to clear vision. And because we use the phrase 2020 vision to refer to clear vision, in the years 2018 and 2019, some organizational leaders looked forward to the year 2020 and they saw a nice play on words. 2020 vision, if it de uh, describes clear vision, for some organizational leaders described a clear vision they wanted to articulate. And so many organizational leaders laid out plans for in 2018 and 2019 where they said, here is our 2020 vision. Here is what we see clearly that we should do in 2020 and beyond. The problem is none of these organizational leaders, in fact, none of us, saw COVID-19 coming in 2020. And so the clear vision that many people had, the 2020 vision that people set forth, was severely disrupted and in some cases scrapped by the events of 2020, which tells you we didn't see as clearly into the future as we once thought that we did. Now this illustration raises a point that everybody knows, that every one of you understands already. And that is that people make plans, plans for the future, and talk openly about them. And there are a number of ways that we could illustrate this truth. There are many illustrations of this in daily life. The 2020 vision thing is one, and it's one that we can look back with 2020 hindsight and see that maybe we shouldn't be so confident about our plans going forward as we think that we should be. But the truth is that we all operate this way still. People still make plans and talk openly about those plans. If you have something on your calendar right now, for later today or tomorrow or someday in the future, then you've made plans. And if you've ever told anybody about that thing on your calendar, you've talked openly about those plans. If you studied for a test next week as a student, then you've made some plans. And your teacher who put that test on the calendar talked openly about his or her plans for you in your class. If you talked with somebody else 
maybe before the service, about going out to lunch after the service today or someday in the future. You've made plans and talked openly about them. This is what people do. This is how we function. Some people plan more than others. But all of us think about the future. And all of us expect to be alive in that future. And all of us, therefore, make plans for that future and talk with others as if those plans will be realized. But here in this passage of Scripture, as we come back this morning to the book of James, we're going to see here in James 4 that God's Word talks openly about how we make plans. We make plans and talk openly about them, but God's Word also talks openly about the plans that we make. And it's going to take us a couple of Sundays. There's a forward-looking statement about the future. But it's going to take us a few Sundays to make it through this entire paragraph. But I want to take a minute and just kind of situate us in this paragraph so we see where we're going today and then, if the Lord wills, in the future. So this, this paragraph of Scripture that I read earlier from James chapter 4 is a paragraph of Scripture that extends from verse 13 all the way to verse 17. Verse 17 doesn't look like it fits exactly, but if God wills, in the future, I'll show you how it fits and how it uh, sums up the paragraph that we're going to look at. So the entire paragraph goes from James chapter 4, verse 13, to James chapter 4, verse 17. But there are a few ways we can break this apart, and one of those is that we would see in verses 13 through 15, how foolish our future planning tends to be. Then in verse 16, we will see how evil our future planning tends to be. And I know that's a rough statement, right? But look with me just quickly at verse 16, which says, As it is, you boast in your arrogant seams. All such boasting is evil. There's the word, all right? So I know what I said was rough, but it's right there in the text. All right, so this paragraph has a few sections in it. Verses 13 through 15 tell us how how foolish our future planning can be. Verse 16 tells us how evil our future planning can be. And finally, verse 17 will show us what our, our future planning usually leaves out. So this is how the entire paragraph breaks down. This morning, we're going to just be looking at verses 13 through 15. And we're going to see that God's word clearly speaks to us about the plans that we make for the future. And God's word is going to expose to us just how foolish our future planning can be. It's a very human thing to make plans. It's a very human thing to talk openly about those plans. That's not a problem. The problem is that we leave God out of our planning much too often. People make plans and talk openly about them. But people don't plan with God in mind. That's the foolishness that verses 13 through 15 is going to raise with us and cause us to consider as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning. The first thing James is going to tell us in the first verse, verse 13, the reason why we don't plan with God in mind is because we plan as if we know what God knows. That's why our planning is foolish. What we know about God is that God is omniscient. That is, God knows all things. God knows all things past, present, 
and future. God knows things that are actual and potential. God is omniscient. God knows all things. The problem with human planning is when we make plans, we act as if we're omniscient. We make plans as if we know all things. That's the problem with human planning. Let's look together at verse 13 and see how foolish it is for us to plan as if we know all things like God does. Let's look together again at verse 13. Where scripture says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. This verse sets forth the typical way in which human beings talk about their plans. You and I may never have said these exact words, but we've said and thought things that would be very consistent with the wording that we read here in verse 16. Now the paragraph begins by saying, now listen. And this is a way that James uses not only to gather our attention and grab our attention, but in the original Greek language, this type of phrase was used to address an opponent, to speak to someone that you want to confront about something. It's not just saying, may I have your attention, please, but rather it's saying, I've got something to say to you, and you're probably not going to like it. All right. And so the, the passage begins confrontationally at the very beginning. Now notice the next phrase. It says, now listen, you who say... And this differs from the way that James typically has addressed his audience as well. Remember, as we've walked through this book of the Bible together, that James often says, my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, it often begins a new paragraph or is put into a paragraph that exists when James wants to comfort and encourage the people of God. But there's no brothers and sisters here. Instead, James says, now listen, you who say. And so we have to wait. We have to find out in the future as we move through this passage who James has in mind. Is he speaking to believers? Is he addressing us, his brothers and sisters in Christ, or is he addressing someone else? Is James writing these words to people who maybe aren't believers or not living like believers? We'll have to wait until we get a little bit later into the passage to answer this important question. Nor does this tell us much about the type of person that James has in mind. It doesn't tell us anything about the type of person other than it's someone who has some flexibility about the plans that they make. In other words, when James gives us the rest of this verse, he is assuming someone who has quite a bit of autonomy in the way that they live their lives. This isn't someone who is bound to someone else's schedule, who works for another person, who is told when they show up to work when to show up and what to do. This is someone who has the ability to do some planning. This is someone who can travel in order to try to make more money. And that's about all we know about the person that James is addressing in this passage of Scripture. But as we move forward, we see that James addresses them by saying, today or tomorrow, he describes the language that these people use when they make their plans. And notice when it says that they say today or tomorrow, James isn't talking about bucket list type stuff. 
when he addresses in a confrontational way the type of planning that misses God, that neglects God, he's not talking about the things on your bucket list, the things where you say to your family, someday I would like to go there and do something, or someday I would like to to have this experience or own this thing. That's not what James is talking about at all. He's talking about people who've already made their plans for the future. He's talking about people who've decided in their heart and in their head what they're going to do, and now they're announcing it to the world. And those plans are imminent. They're going to happen today or tomorrow. This is on the calendar already. The person saying these words has already made the decision and already lined up the things that need to happen for that decision to become reality. And so this is talking about a very specific type of future-looking statement. The rest of it kind of fills in the details in a general way. He says, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. The the only specific thing here is that we're going to spend a year there. The rest of this is undefined. He doesn't tell us what city, and he doesn't tell us what kind of business, or what kind of, how much money is expected to be made. But all of this language that James uses, everything James says about the way that people talk about the future, assumes a level of knowledge about the future that we don't actually have as human beings. And some of it's a little bit invisible to us in the NIV's translation. And so I need to tell you that in this passage, there are a number of verbs, and they're all in the future tense. When James says, we will go, you understand that's a future tense verb in English. But the phrase that says, spend a year there, means we will spend. That's also future tense. The word carry is we will carry on business. And the word make money is we will make money. All of these future tense verbs describe what? They describe a certainty about our plans. The person saying this is certain that they're going to do it soon. They are certain that they are going to a particular place. They are certain that they are going to spend a year there. They are certain that they are going to engage in business there. It's not, a, it's not a vacation or a pleasure trip. And they are certain that there will be a profit, that whatever expenses they incur, traveling there, getting their inventory there, whatever it is, there's going to be a profit for them there, and probably a big profit. Otherwise, they wouldn't go to the trouble of traveling there. All of these future tense verbs suggest a knowledge about the future, That only God has. God is omniscient. God knows all things. He knows all things past, present, and future. You and I don't. And the problem with the way that we make plans and talk about them is that we talk about them as if God is not a factor, as if God didn't exist. We are atheistic in the way that we plan and in the way that we discuss our plans. And we do it with a level of knowledge that human beings don't actually possess. Now, James has given us a kind of specific scenario. And it's one that relates to someone who has some autonomy in their life to do business. And so you might say, well, I don't have that kind of autonomy. I work for a corporation, and the corporation defines my future reality. But the truth is, we say similar things 
when we say something like, I am going to buy a new car next year. We speak in the future tense as if it were already settled, and we do it about a time period that is specific and well-defined, very much like what's going on in this passage. Or when we say, I am going to paint that bathroom finally, tomorrow or next weekend. We are making a future-looking statement with determination when we say such things. Or if you're a student and you say, I will graduate at the top of my class in college. You're making a future-looking statement about the future. And it's one that is stated with confidence, the kind of confidence that only someone who is omniscient, who knows all things, has the ability to really say. And notice then the way that James describes this and the way that I've tried to apply it to our lives, that James is not talking about extremely wicked people here. James begins confrontationally by saying, now listen, you who say, but as we read the rest of what this person supposedly says, it's very easy for us to identify with the kind of plans that this person is making. James is not describing the type of planning that the godless only or the wicked only make. This is not the kind of person who is intentionally defiant against the living God and saying, God, I'm going to do my thing whether you like it or not. No, James is describing the kind of everyday planning and talk about planning that all of us engage in. All of us, whether we know God or not, whether we are saved by Jesus Christ and his blood or not, all of us tend to make forward-looking statements in the future tense, as if we know what the future holds for us, and as if we know what is going to happen in that future. And so that's what verse 13 describes for us. It tells us that one of the problems with the way that we plan is that we plan as if we know what God knows when we don't. That's verse 13, which describes the ordinary course of human planning. Now in verse 14, James is going to dissect the way that we plan. He's going to demonstrate for us why it's such a problem and why it is truly godless in the way that we plan. We plan as if we know what God knows. But unlike God, James is going to tell us in verse 14, we have limitations. God is unlimited in his being, wisdom, power, knowledge, and many other attributes. The only limits to God are his character, his own holiness, which aren't limits at all. But when we make forward-looking statements, and when we plan out our lives, whether in little ways or in big ways, as if we know the future, and we do it without thinking about God, thinking about God's will, thinking about what God wants or what God might do in the future. When we speak confidently and plan confidently, we are acting really in a godless way because we fail to recognize our own limitations. We plan as if we know what God knows, but the problem is we're limited. And that's what James is going to show us in verse 14. Let's look at it. Verse 14 says this. It begins by saying, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Now, the word you here in the original Greek indicates something more than just you or you as a group. Rather, it indicates not an accusation, 
but really a reminder of the obvious, which is that we have limitations. In other words, the, the way that it's worded in the original is to describe people like you. It describes a category of, of people, a category that would encompass all of us. He is saying why people like you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And that's a, already, just right out of the box, a reminder that we are people with limitations and that we should, in humility, recognize those limitations. Look, if I said tomorrow, I will go down to that gym and I will dunk a basketball. I certainly have the ability to say that. But someone like you might say, really? You're going to dunk a basketball tomorrow? Someone like you who is middle-aged and has had two knee surgeries and never really could jump all that well before you had knee surgeries, you're going to dunk a basketball? Why? I bet you can't even touch the bottom of the net. And you'd probably be right about that. (laughs) I'm a person with limitations, and while I may speak as if I don't have them, that doesn't make the limitations go away. When James begins here in verse 14 by saying, why people like you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, he's Raising the fact that we're human. And because we're human, we're contingent. We are contingent upon the grace of God. Every moment that you and I have on this earth, every breath that you and I take, is under the common grace of God. And God has the right and the ability to withdraw that grace from us at any moment. When we plan as if we know what God knows... We act as if we are not limited. We act as if we can do whatever we want, just like God, who has no limits. Now, notice this next word, or this, a word that comes up in the next phrase. He says, "Why you do not even know what will happen. In the original Greek, there are several words for no. We don't really have that many, but Greek has several of them. This word for no is extremely rare in the New Testament. It's not one of the typical words that the New Testament uses for no. And it's unusual because it describes a kind of a, 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 a knowledge that describes our understanding. That's what James is saying. He's not saying you don't really know this. He's saying you haven't really understood the implications of this. Every one of us knows that we're going to die someday. That's not what James is saying. But rather, he's saying you haven't really understood that it could actually happen to you at any moment. You haven't really factored in to your planning and your thinking the reality that you are a contingent being, that you are only existing by the grace of God alone, and that God could withdraw that grace at any moment. And so that's what James is trying to get us to think about. He's trying to say, you have limitations, and you haven't understood those limitations when you make plans as if God doesn't exist. And then he says this, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. This word tomorrow points to our limited horizon. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You're making plans about things that are going to happen in a year, James says. You're expecting that a year from now you're going to be a year richer because you've gone to this city and 
engaged in business. And you think that in a year you're going to be more culturally enriched because you've lived in another city and you've developed some cosmopolitan habits. But James says, forget a year. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You're not even aware of what tomorrow might even hold in store for you. It points out how limited our understanding of the future really is. The truth is that today almost certainly holds some surprises for all of us or for many of us. Maybe your, the rest of today will, will go just as you planned it to go or just as you think it might go. But the truth of the matter is there might be some surprises waiting for you later today. I hope they're good surprises, but they might not be. Or tomorrow, if, you're, if you have your day planned out and your week planned out, there are almost certainly going to be some surprises that await you. And you know that's true, but you haven't really understood it, and I haven't really understood it, when we make these confident, forward-looking statements about our plans for the future. Heart attacks, strokes, car accidents, COVID-like symptoms are rarely planned for by human beings, right? You haven't penciled in that car accident for Wednesday at 3, but it could happen. And the point that James is trying to tell us is we make these forward-looking statements without really comprehending what it means to be a contingent being in a fallen world, existing only by the grace of God. Now, notice what he says next. He says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. The word that's translated mist here doesn't describe a fog. Like Sometimes we get these fogs right in the morning that settle in and they cover the road and they cover the fields and you can't see anything, right? And it stays there for maybe an hour or a little while, but eventually when the earth heats up, it burns off and it goes away. That's not what James is describing here. He's not describing a fog that settles, He's describing something much more temporary than that. What James is describing here, and the word that he uses in the original Greek, describes the steam that rises off of your coffee cup or your teacup. How long does that stick around? Not long at all. And James is saying this is what human life is like. In the span of God's existence, which is eternal, it had no beginning and no ending. When we compare the average human life, when we compare the longest human life that's ever existed, the span of our life and the length of our existence and the impact that we can have in this world and in this universe is pretty temporary. As God looks at our life, it's like that steam that rises off of your coffee cup and then is just gone. What happened to it? You can't see it anymore. You don't think about it anymore. James says this is what every human's life is like. Whether your life is shorter than you expected, exactly as long as you expected, or much longer than you expected. When God looks at your life, when God looks at any human being's life, what he sees is a very short, very temporary existence. James says, your life is a mist that appears for a little while 
and then vanishes. So what is the solution to this? I mean, James has told us the problem. The problem is, because we actually are like God, I think is the reason why we plan the way that we do. God originally created us to be eternal beings, and that's why we have forward-looking ideas and forward-looking statements. It's the entrance of sin that changed things. But because we're created in the image of God, and God is a planner, as we know because we've read the Bible and we've seen the whole plan, what is the answer to this? This is what human beings do. Human beings make plans and talk about them openly. The problem is that we don't incorporate God into our plans. The problem is we speak and think as if God doesn't exist or as, as if God doesn't matter or as if our lives have a durability that they don't actually have. And so what is the solution to this? We're going to see that in verse 15. But before we look at it, I want to tell you that the solution is not two things. One is it's not to be afraid of the future. James isn't trying to get us to be scared about what might happen later today or what might happen tomorrow or in the future. It's not the point. The point is not to try to put some fear into you any more than just the fear of God, which we all should have. The point is not to fear the future. And the other solution is not to avoid planning at all. What James describes is a natural human function. And as I've already said, I think it's one that mirrors God because it's part of the uh, the image of God within us that God created to be in us. God is not trying to tell us, stop planning. Just live in the moment. It's interesting because years ago I read about a very successful uh, CEO and, and business founder's um, daily schedule. He had like a lot of productivity tips that were really interesting. And one of them is that he doesn't plan anything, that he doesn't put anything on his calendar. He says, if you want to see me, just call me, and if I'm available, we can meet or we can talk or whatever. But he says, I don't make any plans. Well, as I, I read this years ago, and as I was putting this sermon together, I thought about it again, and so I looked it up, and guess what? Now he plans everything. He puts literally everything, including his sleep and his free time, on a schedule. And he says, this was my biggest mistake in productivity. All right, and so the point is not to erase your calendar and live in the moment. That's not what God wants us to do. Instead, what God wants us to do is the big idea for this passage and for this message. And that is to submit your plans to the will of God as an intentional act of faith. What James wants us to do is not to fear the future and not to stop planning for the future. He wants us to think about the future in a Christian way. He wants us to incorporate our faith in God and what we know about God into our lives as we make plans because that's what people do. People make plans. Just do it in a godly way. Let's dig into what the, the passage says here. And as I said, we're going to be looking at verse 15 for this answer. Verse 15 says this, Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. I don't know what the most famous verse in James is, but this might be it. Most Christians are well aware of this statement, of this phrase. And we have a tendency don't we, to tack it on to things when we want to sound spiritual or when we don't want to sound arrogant. We tend to, stack, to tack it on to things that we say that are forward-looking because we've heard of this verse. But what is exactly is this verse teaching us? It's teaching us to submit our plans to the will of God and to do it as part of our faith in God. And the first thing we need to understand, I think, in order to do this is that when we talk about our plans, we need to talk submissively about them. 
James wants us to submit our plans to God, and that means when we discuss the plans that we've made, we should do it in a way that shows our submission to God. That's what verse 16 is all about. Let's look at it, or verse 15, excuse me. Let's look at it again. He says, instead, obviously the word instead indicates the alternative. It's the alternative to saying, today and tomorrow, we will go to another city. We will engage in commerce. We will spend a year there. We will make money. Instead of doing all that, James says, still make your plans, but speak about them in a submissive way. He says, instead, you ought to say, and the phrase you ought to say describes words that come out of our mouth that express what's in our head and in our hearts. James is not saying you need to tack this on to what you're saying and then you're good to go. You're, you're totally spiritual. God's very pleased if you put this at the end of every future and forward-looking statement. That's not the point. The point is, it should come out of your mouth when you make statements about the future that reflect your plans for the future There should be a level of submission to God that's evident in what you say. That's what James is describing here. Words that we speak describe what we're thinking and what we're feeling. They describe what's in our head and in our heart. And when James says, you ought to say this, what he's saying is, you need to retrain your brain to think about God's will and what God is doing and bring your plans in line and in submission to that. And you need to retrain your heart to be submissive to the will of God, to know that God has a plan for your future and it probably isn't exactly, it may not be anything like the plans that you have for your future. He's describing words of submission here. God may have different plans for me, And as a submissive Christian, I will gladly submit. I will gladly accept those plans. Even if they interrupt my own, even if they extend the timeline of my own plans, even if they make my plans really frustrating, and even if they cancel my plans altogether. As a submissive follower of Jesus Christ... We should speak of our plans in a submissive way. Now, here in verse 14, the mystery is finally solved. Who is James talking to? Remember, at the beginning he says, you who say this, but he doesn't say you brothers. Well, I think when he says, if it's the Lord's will, that clearly indicates that he's speaking to us. He is speaking to Christians. Because unbelievers don't care what the Lord's will is. Or if they do, they are defiant against the will of the Lord. It is only once we have been saved by Jesus Christ and our hearts have been awakened to God and we've been instilled with the love of God that he has poured out on us and we want to live a life that's pleasing to God, it's only then that we really care about the Lord's will and think about the Lord's will in terms of our planning. So James is speaking to us here. He's speaking to Christians. And he's telling us then that we need to make our plans submissively. Now, again, this is, um, this is hard to bring into our English, so I, I'm going to try to show it to you in this passage. In English, we only have one condition, if, if then, okay? But we use it in many ways. We, we say, if you call me tomorrow, we can go out to lunch, all right? That's saying... We can go out to lunch, but only if you call me, right? There's a condition there. And if you don't meet the condition, we ain't going out to lunch, right? 
That's one way in which we use this. But we also use it in another way, which is to say, if I am standing here talking, you should listen to me. That's not a condition. That's me saying, here's the reality. Now, here's what you need to do in response to that reality. We only have one way of describing conditions in English, and we use that one way in a multitude of ways. In the original Greek, they had different words and different phrases that they would bring together to describe different types of conditions. And I've talked about this in, a, I talked about this in my Philippians series to the point that it probably bored you to death if you were here for it. But there are classes of condition. They're called first-class condition, second-class condition, third-class condition. Here's a little Greek for you. This is a third-class condition. And it describes a future that is probable but not certain. That's what James is trying to get us to understand. What James is saying here is when we say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that, the part about we will live and do this or that is a future that we expect will happen. We're not expecting that our lives will end tomorrow, nor should we. We're not expecting that we'll be unable to fulfill the, to paint the bathroom tomorrow or whatever we've planned. That's not the point. The point is not saying, well, I might not be able to get to it because I might not be alive tomorrow. That's not what James is telling us in terms of planning. What he's saying is, instead, we should make plans for the future, but in our hearts and in our words, we should understand that God might have something else for me, that God may have a different plan for me, and that's okay. As a follower of Christ, I want to do the will of God, even if it interrupts my will, even if it interferes with my plans and keeps me from doing what I want to do. And so that's what this verse is describing for us. James says, instead you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, notice here at the end, the two things that James describes in terms of our forward-looking statements. How do we talk submissively about our plans? It comes with recognizing that we are contingent upon the grace of God and that we are contingent upon the grace of God in two ways. Number one, for life. And number two, to carry out what we want to do. James says if you want to talk submissively in a way that honors God with your life, then you need to keep two things in mind. The first is that you might not be alive in the future. Now, we all know that there is going to come a day when we will die But none of us knows when that is, and I'm thankful for that. And because none of us knows what it is, and because people tend to live 80 years or more, we tend to think it's way off in the future. But when James says, instead you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live, what he is saying is you need to take into account your limitations. That is, that you are physically limited in terms of your life on this earth. That if you're going to live a life that's submitted to God, you need to understand that you're not guaranteed 80 or 90 years on this earth. That you're not guaranteed a year to buy and sell and make money on this earth. That you're not guaranteed tomorrow on this earth. Part of living a submissive life is understanding that all of us are subject to the grace of God and the will of God. And that may mean a life that ends sooner than you expect, or a life that someone you love has that ends sooner than you expected. And as a Christian, to say, all right, Lord, it's not what I wanted, but may your will be done. One of my best friends growing up in high school and college 
married his college sweetheart, and they had five children together. And in her 40s, his wife developed breast cancer, and it spread in her body. And she lived a a long time, longer than I expected that she would, but two years ago she died. After she died, my friend continued to raise his five children alone. He moved to a new state. He lost 50 pounds, and he was ready to move on with his life as much as he missed his wife. And then two months ago, he contracted COVID-19. He went to the hospital. He was there for a month and a half, and he finally died. Now, I know this man well enough to know that he was someone who loved the Lord and was submitted to his will. But I also know that he's a human being. And I know that he, I'm sure that as a human being, he had plans for the future. He was planning to walk his youngest child, I think she's 11, down the aisle and see her married someday. He was planning to watch all of his children become adults and probably have a mate and have grandchildren. And he was planning for what his future retirement would look like, I'm sure. What he didn't plan was that a disease none of us heard about a few years ago would take his life prematurely. But that's what God planned for him. We act as if the plans that we make are certain because we think we're going to live forever just like God does, or at least for a long time. But the truth is, if we're submitted to the will of God, we need to understand that God doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't owe me another second of life on this earth. And therefore, the plans that I made, I should make submissively. I don't want to die, but I'm not afraid to die. I'm afraid of death. I'm afraid of dying painfully. I'll admit that. And I'm not afraid to die. But I want to live, and I want to do some things. I want to see some things. I want to experience some things. There's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong with it is when we assume that that we're owed this, that I deserve to have a long life. James says someone who speaks submissively about the will of God understands that I may not be owed, and I'm not owed, and I may not get another day in this life, but because I'm a follower of Christ, I'm okay with that. It's part of his will for my life. The second thing James says here about what we ought to say is if it's the Lord's will, we will do this or that. That goes back to verse 13. We'll go to a certain city, we'll buy and sell, we'll, get, we'll make money. James is not saying it's wrong for the person to plan any of this. But here's the problem. We make plans and then we get really mad and really frustrated when God intervenes in our plan. When maybe we can't travel like we expect it to do. Or maybe the business venture that we started doesn't make money like we thought it would. Or doesn't make as much money. Or maybe even loses money. People get very frustrated, and Christians can get very frustrated, if we think we are owed a certain outcome that we planned. Being submissive to the will of God and speaking submissively to the will of God means... Making my plans, but knowing that God might have another plan, a plan that I find unpleasant, and learning to submit to his plan, learning to accept his plan, learning to say, okay, Lord, how do I live like a godly man or woman in light of the changed plans that you have imposed upon me? That's what it means to talk submissively about your plans. We should also understand that we should think submissively about our plans. Now, I've already kind of indicated this because words reflect thoughts and actions, but I want to bring in a few ideas here that James doesn't discuss that other passages of Scripture would fill in for us. 
when it comes to thinking submissively about the will of God in our lives. And the first is prayer. When you make plans, have you asked God? I'm not asking, I'm not saying ask God to reveal his will to you. A lot of Christians do that, and the Bible never tells us that we should ask for a revelation of the will of God in the future. So I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, when you make plans, do you submit them to God in prayer? Do you say, Lord, here's what I want to do, and here's what I want to do it. Here's why I want to do it. But Lord, I'm ready to accept your will if you have something different for me. That's a submissive attitude. And one thing that prayer does is it humbles us because it constantly reminds us that we need the grace of God. We need the blessing of God on the things that we plan and the things that we do with our lives. In addition to thinking submissively and prayer being a part of that, I would also say that our attitude is part of thinking submissively. If your plans fail, or your life ends sooner than you expect, or things work out for you, but they don't really bear the fruit that you thought they would bear, are you angry about it? Does it hurt your walk with God, or does it remind you that God is in control, and that maybe he has something different planned for you, and different may be better, sometimes it is, it may not be as good in terms of what you expected, but it will be better for your own spiritual life if you live and speak and think and act submissively to the will of God. We are planners by nature, and there's nothing wrong with that. But since we know Christ, since we've been redeemed from our sins, since we've been told what the future holds for us as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to learn to live submissively in this world. And that's part of an intentional act of faith. Because if you have faith in God, then you can trust him when God overrules the plans that you've made. And so whatever you've got planned for the rest of today, or tomorrow, or this week, or next year, Let me urge you to submit your plans to God's will as an intentional act of faith.